Seinfeld, the nose job is over and has been for quite some time, but we're just getting started here on Seinfeld, the post-show recap on postshowrecaps.com. And now here are the two guys who always say exactly what's on their mind, like Kramer. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Akiva Winokur. Akiva, how are you? Uh, good. Uh, Rob, you have a little bit of spinach in your teeth. Spinach? Really? Oh, my God. And I've been podcasting all day. How embarrassing for me. You, you got to look your best. You have to bring your, your A-game when you're podcasting. Got to bring my A-game. How do you think that went? Yeah. Oh, no. Okay. Anyway, so, Akiva, this is a very big episode of the Seinfeld recap podcast for us. Uh, yeah, it's, I'd say it's the biggest episode yet. The biggest episode yet. And, and do you want to tell us exactly why? Yeah, we have our first guest today. Yes. Okay. Who are we going to be talking to in this episode? Uh, the very writer of uh, The Nose Job, Peter Millman. Get out. Uh, I kid you not. <laughs> wow. All right. So we're going to speak with the writer of this episode of Seinfeld, The Nose Job from season three, episode nine. Very exciting. Uh, going to talk about the episode first, as we normally do. Then we're going to go to Peter, uh, and then we'll uh, close out the show with your feedback, like we always do here on the Seinfeld Rewatch podcast on postshowrecaps.com. Also, this is going to be our first Seinfeld podcast uh, that we've moved podcast networks, and we are now on the Podcast One podcast network, which means you can find all of our shows here on Post Show Recaps at podcastone.com as well as lots of other great podcasts over at Podcast One. So hopefully uh, we may have some new listeners coming on board from other Podcast One shows as well. So if this is your first Seinfeld recap podcast, very excited to have you guys on board too. Yeah, so very excited and uh, let's get into it because I know we have our interview coming up in uh, just a little bit. So let's talk about the nose job. And in this episode, George is dating a woman, Audrey, and Audrey is a beautiful woman with the exception of that she has, uh, as Jerry would call it, a schnoz. Yeah, she's got a schnoz. She's got a schnoz. And I didn't know schnoz meant big nose, but I, I guess it does. You didn't know that? I thought schnoz was just like nose. I thought it was just a nickname for nose. Yeah, oh, I'm surprised. I feel like that's, uh, that's a, a, a term, schnoz. No, I've heard the term schnoz, but I, I thought like you could say like big schnoz. I didn't realize it would be superfluous. You think it's um, like a coincidence that there's no such thing as a as a big schnoz or a small schnoz? It's just a schnoz. Well, now that now that he says it, I guess you wouldn't say, "Oh, she's got a small schnoz." Yeah, yeah, that's sort of that would be that terrible. That would be terrible. And so George is dating Audrey, and at one point they're all having some pizza, and Kramer walks in and says that she is uh, beautiful. Uh, she just needs a nose job, and and everybody is sort of, oh my god, I can't believe you said that. But then she starts thinking about it. George pushes her to get the nose job, but it gets botched. Kramer would tell her it, you got butchered, and then George ends up breaking up with her to get away from her because she's hideous with the nose job, and then ultimately uh, it. Gets gets corrected and then she's beautiful by the end after George is broken up with her so uh, you have that going on plus Jerry meets a very striking woman uh, who he hates but the sex is incredible and he ends up in a episode long battle between his penis and his brain who ultimately uh, play out a chess match against each other and the brain ultimately wins and Jerry ends up getting rid of the woman uh, who he had uh, such a uh, a what, what would you call this? A torrid affair. Uh, yeah. With the, Tony uh, Katane. With Tony Katane. Boom. Ex-wife of um, Chuck Finley. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, whoever the guy from Whitesnake is. <laughs> so there you go. 
<laughs> yeah, all those guys, their penis lost the chess game against the brain with Tony Katane. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Tony Katane, Tony Katane also, by the way, probably not a great chess player. Yes, yes, that's probably that's probably right as well. All right, so uh, let's talk about this episode. And of course, we also have another subplot with Kramer dealing with trying to get the jacket, which has been a season three long arc over uh, the jacket and him and Elaine go after the jacket in another caper uh, in this episode. But um, the show starts off with Jerry talking about the uh, pharmacist. And while it's not exactly about the nose job, it's sort of like medically related about how the pharmacist is all the way up there. Again, this is something that I think was Jerry's joke that has just just become some of like the common, just sort of like absorbed into the culture. And it feels hacky now when you hear it. Yeah, I don't even know what he's talking about. Like the pharmacists always, are they always like a few feet up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're always like, you know, and I think that maybe like because of this, like pharmacists like have been like lowered down, like in like modern, in some modern drugstores. But uh, yeah, I think that's always the thing where the pharmacist is like, you're sort of like down below. I don't know what the reason for that is. Jerry's changing the world. I mean, he, I think he lowered so. the pharmacy down. Yeah, I think people felt like, well, yeah, that is right. I don't want to go to a pharmacy and have to like hand my pill bottle up to somebody. You know, why can't I be up there? Uh, who knew that Seinfeld had such a you know broad impact? Yeah, because I'm trying to think like uh, I get prescriptions filled at Target, and uh, I think they're probably they're all on the same uh, like same level playing field as you are. I don't think they're well, actually maybe they above. have a good union. Maybe they have a good union, but I'm trying to think of like other like older drugstores. Like I can definitely recall them like that. They're up like on a higher step than you. And I don't know what that is. If they're like trying to make sure you're not like they have a better vantage point to see who's there or who's stealing or anything like that. But I don't know the exact reason. Yeah, I guess let us know if you're a pharmacist out there. Yeah, if you have the answer to that. Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. All right, so this is an interesting Akiva to me because I think this is the first time we're going to see them on the street with the street set of the uh, Manhattan uh, street. Do, do you feel like, is that right? I think once or twice for a brief for a brief minute we've had it, but the first two seasons, the sets are pretty, like, fake. So this is the first time they're, like, maybe really out there somewhere. Yeah, we have, like, the newsstand set and the newsstand, Mr. Newsstand character. Yeah, in the in the deleted scene... Uh, he has like more of a role yeah. in, uh, in this first scene, but, uh, I think they made again, the right call with that yeah. deleted scene because, uh, yeah. there was, Scenes are deleted <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> there was not even a joke. It was just like a lot of exposition of like, Oh, here they come. They have pizza. Like, Oh, Kramer's calling us. I bet he wants to talk about that jacket. Yeah. It was all exposition. It was just like Elaine and Audrey are friends and they're going to be living together. And Audrey actually doesn't live in New York. She lives in Maryland. She's just here for a month. And the, uh, the guy who owns the store wants to kill himself or get out of the business. No jokes. It, you know, easy cut there. You don't need a you don't need an editor on hand to uh, cut out that three minute scene. Yeah. And I'm really glad we're going to talk to Peter about this episode because I have a lot of questions I want to ask about some of the stylistic choices that they made in this episode. Because this is an episode that's unlike any previous episode and really unlike a lot of the future episodes of Seinfeld that we're going to see where there's a lot of like cutaways to things and like interesting devices that they don't use in a lot of the other Seinfeld episodes. And specifically, we have Jerry talking about this woman that he met on the elevator. We're not seeing it in real time, but we're getting flashbacks, which is not a device that Seinfeld is going to use a lot over the course of the show. No, very rarely. It's not the only time, but it, it, very rarely they use this 
I'd call it like a family guy style. Yes. You know, that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, and, and that's why I'm really excited to talk to Peter because it's almost like, this is almost like shot like a modern day sitcom, like a family guy or a 30 rock or a modern family, uh, where they're cutting to things as they're referencing them. Yeah. Uh, fun fact, not, not our normal type of fun fact. Right. Family guy has two writers rooms. One, the main one is, you know, it's people to punch up the scripts for the episodes. And they have a second smaller room just for people to write these, like, you know, the five-second throwaway gags. Wow. They have, like, a full-time room going. It's like a kid's table, and then there's, like, the grown-up table where they're eating Thanksgiving with Seth MacFarlane is, and then there's, like, the kid's table where they're just coming up with the runners. Yeah, I mean, Seth MacFarlane is probably, like, in his gold castle, not at, <laughs> not in the writer's room. Yeah. yeah. That's a fair point. Um, so Jerry met this woman in an elevator and George is so impressed because in 60 seconds he got this woman's number and I'm not even sure how he did it. He mentions uh, crop circles and she didn't know what they were. That's uh, my new pickup line. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the man from the newsstand doesn't know what the crop circles are either. I, Jerry's really, you know, he's he's going to the 1% here. Nobody knows what he's talking about. I feel like the crop circles isn't a big deal in 2014. For whatever reason, the world is not that obsessed with crop circles. I think uh, I think the movie Signs ruined it for everybody. It ruined the crop circles thing? Yeah. Uh, so, meanwhile, uh, George has something in his teeth. He has like a little piece of uh, spinach that was in his teeth. And George is like, oh my God, nobody just told me. And he reveals that he actually just went on a job interview um, and we see a flashback to the uh, George in the job interview with like a super close up shot of the spinach in his teeth. And uh, George is like, yeah, well, can you guess how that went? I mean, uh, don't you think the interviewer would just uh, tell George that there's some spinach in his teeth? Like, is that really the reason he didn't get the job? Oh, no, that's probably not the only reason he didn't get the job, but it certainly didn't help. It was just the spinach on the cake. Yeah, it was the spinach on the cake. And but again, interestingly that we in previous episodes, while I know in the library we did flashback to the, you know, Tropic of Cancer, Tropic of Capricorn, the locker room, and then the girl that Jerry was talking about also from that he remembered from high school. But I feel like that was like flashbacks to a long time ago. And that didn't seem as uh, as different stylistically as this did to cut back to things that happened earlier that day. Yeah, I guess because the show's only 25 episodes in, they don't really have like such a structured, you know, format yet that you're breaking. Whereas by season six, it would have been weird if this was only done once to write an episode where these types of things are happening. Yeah. And so we see the super close up shot of George's tooth with the, the spinach on it. And we see like the interviewer like trying to like almost like get a piece of spinach that's not there out of his own teeth. Uh, he's very uncomfortable about this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess the lesson is look in the mirror before you go into the job interview. <laughs> so George says to Jerry, hey, can I tell you something? You won't think I'm a bad person. Uh, and we know this is going to be a good thing with that setup. And he says, I would only tell this to either you and maybe a psychiatrist. But he wants to tell Jerry about his girlfriend, Audrey's nose. So it's less of a secret than his SAT score. Yes, it's less of a secret. Which he probably wouldn't tell his psychiatrist. Yes. And Jerry does not seem surprised by that. He says, you know, her nose is a schnoz, Jerry says. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she has, a, she has a really big nose. I don't know why it's such a secret. Like, we, you know, George, we know you're superficial. Yeah. And also now we see cutaways to Audrey with the fisheye lens on the nose. 
Yeah, very interesting camera work. Here. Yeah, so that's very interesting to me also. And she has sort of like a prosthetic nose that, well, we talked about this for a second before we came on. And um, I think that in the end, that's her real nose and she's wearing some sort of a prosthesis. Uh, and we can find out from Peter if, uh, you know, what exactly they had to do makeup wise with this. Yeah, he'll, he'll, looks I, good. he'll probably remember what happened. But uh, yeah, it's no way it's a real nose just because you see pictures of her in real life. She's... Uh, She's, you know, more normal looking. Yeah. You don't think that they actually cast an actress with a big nose and then gave her a free nose job uh, for the end of the show, right? I mean, you know, crazier things have happened. <laughs> but I don't that think would be that. pretty crazy. <laughs> not, not, I guess not too many crazier things have happened. Than- <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty good. Um, so anyway, you know, they're trying to say, don't think about the nose. But George is saying that there's no way he's not going to be able to think about the nose. Yeah, once something's in your head, especially if you say, don't think about this, don't think about this, that's all you think about. Yeah, and Jerry's like, don't be so concerned with looks. And then we see another flashback or a cutaway to Jerry getting the attractive woman's phone number in the elevator. So really uh, very fast and loose with this uh, different style of the show in this episode. Yeah, George, uh, Jerry has different rules for uh, other people than he does for himself, apparently, also. Yeah, and the key here is that George realizes that, boy, you know, she'd be out of my league if she didn't have that nose, which sort of sets up the uh, very interesting discussion in this episode of it's almost like like coming up with like the cashmere sweater in a, in a couple episodes where there's this perfect thing that has an imperfection. But the reason why it has the imperfection is how you're able to obtain the object. But the minor imperfection in the perfect thing ends up being your obsession now with this thing where it's just like you know oh she's so beautiful but that but the nose but if it wasn't for the nose george wouldn't be able to have her in the first place and the nose job ultimately ends up being the way that george is going to try to have his cake and eat it too right or right or as you said exactly like the red dot it's funny i don't know if you watched the show the league but they did a an almost identical plot a few weeks ago where uh one of the characters was staking out the uh plastic surgery waiting room and like trying to get first dibs on the on uh, a girl coming out of uh, cosmetic surgeries because no one would see her yet. And he would, you know, be the first person to claim this uh, attra- newly attractive woman. Yeah, it's sort of like he buying it, uh, low. He called it first on the waiver wire. First on the waiver wire. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, I like that. So, yeah, you could do that with a lot of with a lot of different things. Yeah, it's like a she's all that thing. You know, it's a fixer upper. I actually saw that film. <laughs> yes, good. Good. And so uh, th- that's kind of what George is going to be going for here, even though that the nose job is not ju- yet on the table. So we go up to the apartment and here comes Elaine and Audrey and they have pizza. They're all eating the pizza. What did you think of how the pizza looked? Nah. Yeah, it didn't it's look got- that good to me. No, nah, no. Maybe, you know, maybe it was an early 90s that New York City wasn't in prime pizza mode. Like well, no, now, I but- think this is a case of they got an, L- an L.A. pizza and they're trying oh, to impersonate yeah. a New York pizza. Yeah, you're right. You're yeah. right. And LA pizza, they they say, is uh, not not quite the same. Not quite the same. I mean, you can get a, a good slice here and there, but overall, the average LA pizza is uh, not good. And that did not look like a great slice of pizza that they were eating. So Kramer is talking all about the jacket and how he's going to try to get it. And the guy went away to jail for mail fraud. And so uh, they need Elaine to be part of this caper. And they are going to have Elaine pose as the the fiance of the guy who went away to jail. 
Yeah, you notice in the first few seasons, unless Elaine has some super lame boyfriend, she's always just, you know, the second half of a caper. Yeah. <laughs> An accessory to uh, whatever shenanigans is going on. And so uh, Kramer really needs to get the jacket. And also Audrey notices that Kramer has a little bit of a smudge on his hand, that he got a stamp at the reggae club and he's not washing his hands. so He can go back in for free. Uh, we've all been there. <laughs> we have? No, not really. Oh. I mean, you go to like an amusement park, they stamp your hands, but. I don't think I think now that probably rubs off, but you can't go back the next day, can you? Yeah, no, I've definitely been like in the situation where you get the stamp on your hand, like legitimately like to go out and like um, like I remember when I was a kid, we used to like go to like the like the pool or something like that. And they'd stamp your hand and then you come back, you come back in. It's like you didn't want to wash your hands uh, while you were outside of the place because then you would lose your access back in. Yeah, well, I, I may have told the story in one of the first couple episodes, but I did sneak in to the U.S. Open um, by by my friend and I. Uh, we said that we we were kids, like really young, and we said we uh, forgot to uh, stamp our hands when we went out. And like this big, angry, burly guy came over to us, and we thought he was going to like arrest us. Yeah, and he's like, "Johnny, stamp these boys' hands," and we got in for free. <laughs> yeah, stamp them in. Good. Uh, and this is the first time that Kramer mentions his alter ego, uh, Dr. Peter Van Nostrand. Yeah, debut Van Nostrand. Okay. So they're talking about the reggae club and then you got to see the women in the reggae club. And Audrey says that there's so many beautiful women in New York City that she's actually intimidated. And Kramer says, oh, Audrey, you're as pretty as anybody uh, in the city. You just need a nose job. And the reaction to everybody during this is fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's so over the top, but it's not. See, this was so well done, whereas later when she rips off the bandages for the, you know, the botched nose job, mm -hmm. like the reactions are just absurd and terrible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But here they're just so great. Like Elaine is exactly as horrified as like I'd imagine myself to be in real life if i was sitting next to kramer when he did this yeah oh, jerry like can't believe he's there george like wants to kill himself they're all three of them are amazing yeah i had a situation the closest i had to this in in real life is that i used to work with somebody who would be like kind of a of a kramer who would be like think he's helping people by saying these crazy things and and you know i, I watched in the inside looks so, you know that sounds like that's where peter got the inspiration for this story of somebody that he used to like a friend's dad who uh would speak his mind and be like oh, i'm helping people uh by saying like whatever he felt like saying and so uh, when we were doing auditions for uh, something while I was out here, there was an actress that came in and like she did her thing. And then um, this person said to the actress, he's like, so like, what's going on with your hair? Like, that, that's a wig, right? And she's like, no, he's like, I thought it was a wig. It's, it looks so bad. Uh, could you go like in the bathroom and like wet it down? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Uh, and I, I was really uh, mortified for this girl. I mean, that is terrible, but at <laughs> least he, ha he has some authority there, too. I mean, he could probably be nicer about it. Yeah, but he has some he has some. It's not completely out of place. Like he's judging her 
by her looks. And if was it really bad? Was her hair terrible? No, it wasn't terrible. Oh, then that's kind of insane. <laughs> but who is who's walking around with a with a wig on? That's like going on. To, like she had like a sh- like short like blonde hair. Like it was not like where something like that looked like it was a wig, like a you know big like uh, thing that you would put on your head. Like she had like a uh, just a like a like a like a shoulder length haircut. It's like. Oh my god. Anyway, so I've got like a million different stories uh like like that one. But anyway, so everybody can't believe what Kramer said. Elaine says she's not helping Kramer anymore because of what he said and Kramer's like, "What? I'm just trying to be nice." Yeah, I, I mean Kramer has no self-awareness or awareness of other people's feelings. So it it's a little meaner than what he normally does, but I don't think it's totally out of character. So after we see some stand-up from Jerry, we see George back at Elaine's apartment. Audrey is staying with Elaine while she's trying to get her act together. And so uh, she thinks George has something on his mind. He says, uh, me, something on my... I wish I had something on my mind. <laughs> and they end up talking about the nose job. And uh, she's like, well, you know what, George, what do you think about this nose job idea? Yeah, he's selling it big time. Yeah, he's like... Pfft. Uh, like, what do I think? What do you think? Uh, and he's trying to turn it back, back around on her. And, um, you know, she's like, yeah, I don't know. He's like, well, you know, not that I think you need one, but the doctors are really great right now. Like they're very good. And he tells her, you know, Peter Jennings had one. <laughs> I don't know if that was accurate that Peter Jennings had a nose job. Well, he, he did take it back. Otherwise it would have been like an actionable thing. If, <laughs> you know, did it. Yeah, I love that that was just like a random, like, I hear Peter Jennings had one. Like, oh, yeah, he's a respected newsman. Nothing wrong with that. Sure, if Peter Jennings has one, you know, I'll I'll get a nose job. Yeah, Um, I like the line that George said, you know, half the people from my graduating class in high school had one. He said, yeah, I did go to school on Long Island. (laughs) Yeah. Can can he make this joke? Because he's not Jewish in the in his character's not Jewish. But if the writer is, and uh like if he could put his uh like put words in George's mouth, I think so. Yeah, no, Peter is uh, most certainly Jewish, so we'll give we'll give a pass, but it was kind of <laughs> Um, anyway, George is saying, eh, well, yeah, maybe you should do it. And then Elaine comes out and she's like, George, why are you convincing her? She does not need a nose job. He's like, what? No, I don't think she should either. Unless you want to. <laughs> uh, so it's, it, it is perfect that, you know, they are at Elaine's house and Elaine can come in and call George out on what he's doing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he, he does a really good job of sort of like reverse psychology selling this nose job, George. Yeah, sorry. So we see George and Jerry in the diner now. Uh, or to be said, it was a coffee shop, not the diner. Yeah. Okay. It's a coffee shop. And, you know, they're talking about how exciting this is, about how George is going to ha- see her with the nose job and uh, also realizes that he's probably going to hell. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, he didn't do anything that bad. So, I, I mean, it's not that bad. He's going to do much worse things. Much worse. Listen, if, if you think about it, on the witness list in the finale, this woman was not even a consideration. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. It's only season three. It's only season she three. Doesn't, you know, she wouldn't make the top 50. Yeah. Anyway, so they're talking about Jerry's drama also with uh, Isabel. 
uh, is that's Tawny Katane. And he's again, he mentions for the first time that it's like my brain and penis are in a chess game. And so I was actually surprised that they're able to get away with the penis costume that they get away with. Like they only describe it as the brain and penis here. Uh, they don't describe like they never like describe it as a penis when the chess game is going on. So I wonder if they had to be particularly careful about how they depicted this. Yeah, I mean, if we have time, it, it, it's it's you know maybe a question worth asking Peter also. But it was pretty. I remember like you know this was one of the first episodes I ever saw. I remember like kind of being shocked by this. <laughs> yeah, it's a little shocking. Um, anyway, so she has to read these scenes with Jerry and like do all this rehearsing for her career. And, you know, Jerry is just hates it, but he can't get over the sex. He's addicted to the sex. Yeah. You know, he calls her this despicable woman, Isabel, Tony Kane's character. Yeah. But we don't really see that much of her to show how vapid she is. No, she's annoying, but I mean she says like one thing and that's and that's really it. And that's, you know, you know, she's not like a racist or a, you know, a, you know, a, anything that you could say is like, boy, she is a horrible person. Yeah, all we know about her is that she doesn't know what crop circles are. Yeah. And and um she what was the other thing she did? She like knocked the uh, not crossword puzzles. Uh, yeah, she's like <laughs> had like sort of like a uh, one minorly uh, insensitive remark. Yeah, like they, I guess you know she wasn't really the, the she was really the C story kind of of this episode, but we don't see too much of Tony Katane. Yeah, then we see a, a cutaway again, another cutaway to a scene where Jerry gave the woman's phone number to Kramer and said so he needed to go cold turkey, and he hands the number to Kramer. Kramer rips it up into a million pieces. I mean, I, I just love that, you know, we talk about things that wouldn't happen nowadays. Clearly, this is one of the top yeah. ones we've had so far. Well, this far. would be, here's my iPhone. I can't delete her number. I need you to delete it. Delete her or contact. Sma- or smash my smash iPhone, my iPhone, into, iPhone into a million pieces. Okay, and Jerry's just talking about, oh my God, the sex, the sex. And, you know, it's so uninhibited. And George is like, wow, it's like going to the bathroom in front of a ton of people and not even caring. And I just love these lines from Jerry where he's like, it's nothing like that. It's not like that I, at all, is I think the line. I, I, would, I, I would wonder, I mean, you know, there's so many questions we have for Peter and, you know, but I, I would be interested, like, where does this line come from? It's amazing. Yeah. And so we go now to the apartment, Elaine's apartment. We're going to see the bandages taken off of Audrey. George says it's like watching a birth, but they take the bandages off her. And uh, what do you know? It did not come out well. We never get to see the dented nose, but we just hear Kramer say, you got butchered. Yeah, I guess it could never because they already did such like, uh, you know, over the top job with her real nose. There's nothing they could have shown that would have been funny. Yeah, I didn't like George falls over here. Yeah, like, that's too much. Funny. Too much. It was I didn't like it. Yeah. So we come back from commercial. They're trying to revive uh, George. And I think that this is a funny scene, though, because then, you know, Audrey runs out to go to the doctor and Elaine and George sitting there. And Elaine is just like, you a-hole. You are the worst person. And George is just like not even like acknowledging it. She's like, uh, so. How you feeling? He's like, oh, I think I have too much salt in my diet. Uh, he's like, uh, can I get you anything, George? <laughs> it's like, mm. And he's like, for a second, it seems like he's going to ask for something. And he decides against it. It's just like a played very funny between the two of them. Yeah. Elaine really has this new Audrey's back over her longtime friend, George. 
Yeah, she really does. Um, and, uh, th- you know, they, they mentioned about how, like, it was all dented. And George's like, oh, you know, you can't stop modern science. You can't stop it. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> it's very, very funny. Um, all right. So then uh, we see now Jerry back in his apartment. He wants the number back. It's kind of like an intervention. It's like Jerry's like a junkie. And, you know, he gave Kramer his drugs. And it's like, please give it back to me. And he's like, no, I won't do it. I won't do it. And he's begging Kramer to give him the number back. Yeah, this is like the opening scene of like a good intervention episode. <laughs> yeah. And then Kramer takes the pieces out of his pocket like confetti and throws them in the air. And Jerry's trying to pick up all of the pieces of the card. <laughs> yeah, and he gives him a great speech. Yeah. Uh, what, what does he say? He says like, I can't, I can't stand by and like see you. It yeah. sickens my stomach. He's like, look at you. Look at you. <laughs> He gets like a standing O, Kramer. Yeah, he gets a a big ovation from the audience. And then he comes back in and gets the cereal. Yeah, and Kramer, you know, it's funny because like I I hate when the audience like interjects themselves in the episode. And I feel like they do like four different times here. Yeah. Like with the nose and stuff. But here it is funny. And also, you know, this is like Kramer's about to start getting ovations every time he walks into the apartment. Yeah. I'm not a fan of it. It's too much, too little, too say by the little, bell. Because it, it, it's like part of the show. It's like, who are these people that you're stopping and not saying your lines for? Yeah, yeah. It, it, it takes you out of it. A little bit. Okay. So now we go to see George uh, in the coffee shop with Audrey. And Audrey wants to go on a trip with George. She's like still like head over heels with George. Because right now, George has hand in the relationship. She's de- deformed. She's disfigured. And George is not. Yeah, but this is a terrible play by George here because she's going back for more surgery. Yeah, yeah, he sort of, this is like in the stock tip when uh, Jerry sells low. Uh, that's what George to, does here. I was about here. to say selling low. <laughs> yeah, he sells low on Audrey. Very low. And so, I, but I, we don't know how disfigured she is. Yeah, but either way, you know, even if he can't look at her, you know, he can avoid her for a few days, but, uh, yeah. you know, he knows she's about to get fixed. He should have, at least stuck around for the final product. Yeah. Why don't you put the bandage back on? You know, you know she's uh, proud of uh, who she is. Yeah. Or wear some sort of like, you know, sexy cat mask. <laughs> I think those things are, uh, you know, contradictory. That hasn't been invented yet? Um, I, I mean, have you ever seen, you know, maybe on Halloween? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, why not? I think that'd be a good look. In the cat mask, doesn't your like nose come out though? Oh, does it? Uh, that's a good point. Uh, I think you can get sort of like one that has like a piece over the nose. I think so. Um, I mean, you could wear if it was like the winter, you could wear one of those like uh, you know face covering like <laughs> sure, sure. Um. So anyway, so she wants to go to Hawaii. George is very funny in trying to come up with lies to uh, not want to go to Hawaii. Uh, and she wants to go to the Caribbean. George says, uh, he, you know, you can't get him on a plane right now. He gets uh, FAA reports sent directly to, to him. Yes. Yeah, his, his uncle was a pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but again, much like where we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago in the cafe, when George is trying to have to come up with lies on the spot, like Jason Alexander is just so good at just tr- looking like he's just coming up with these lies, like out of thin air. Yeah, but Audrey does not buy this one. No, she ends up getting pissed and she ends up telling him that this isn't working. Uh, yeah, you know, he, he, he sold all his stock. 
Yes. And so, yeah, even though he has the FAA reports in the offing, uh, <laughs> that's what the word is, uh, he ends up uh, getting dumped by Audrey and he's happy. Uh, yeah, he, uh, you know, he, he, he made his own bed. So the next thing we see is Jerry back at the apartment and there he is with Tawny Katane and they're like reading lines and you know I can understand why she's getting frustrated with him because she's like doing the dialogue and he's like coming up with like witty remarks to fill in the script. Yeah I mean she's also the world's worst actress. (laughs) How dare you? I I don't mean Tawny Katane I mean Isabel as played by Tawny I think it's probably hard to act as a bad actress. Rob, can I give you uh, a couple of Tony Katane's tweets? Because they're really bothering me. Okay, yes. All right, so this is Tony Katane. Uh, just, just for frame of reference, I always like to do this. Um, uh, Susan Dial, who's uh, Audrey, has 10 Twitter followers. Yes. But uh, Tony Katane has uh, like 25,000. Okay. So, so if you think her character is vapid, here are some of the things she's tweeted. <laughs> In the last uh, couple days. Okay. All right. After I worked out this morning, I ran to my car because of the rain. I hope I inadvertently burned off a few more calories. People, be safe driving today. Okay. That's like, listen, I, L, nobody wants to hear LA people complain about the, the two-day Hey, it rain. was cold the other day, and yeah. it was raining. Cold and wet. It was 58 degrees, Akiva. I had a hoodie on, and I was uh, still, I had to... Uh, I didn't want to walk the dog. It was it was not pleasant out. Okay. Next tweet. How cute. I heard Kim Kardashian said that North is her best friend. Sweet. Okay. That one, uh, that one I can't defend. And then she has a, like a 50 tweet rant about her coupon not working at Sears. Yeah. Yeah. No, nobody likes to complain tweets. <laughs> and, and I'd like to point out, I can't even like open up her Twitter in front of my family. Like, oh, okay. It, well, now we're, now we're getting somewhere, Kiva. Is this, and, well, what is he, Tony Katane's uh, Twitter? It's at Tony Katane with right, well, a Tony underscore Katane. Yeah, well, it's not like Tony or Katane is an easy um, thing to... Uh, yeah, but someone... They must have had an imposter yeah. take it. But I, I will say, like, she posts all these pictures of herself selfies. doing yoga and... Huh? Selfies. So, all these, like, selfies, but she's not, you know, like, she's scantily clad. She's older than my mom, Rob. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and uh, maybe uh, Audrey is not the only person in this episode that uh, had some plastic surgery done also. Maybe. It's possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay, yeah. Uh, Overall, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like her Twitter is pornographic or anything like that. No, no, not at all. I I was just saying, like, she's 53. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't necessarily expect that, but she does look good. Yeah. Hanging in there. Hanging on. Uh, I don't know about intellectually, but she's hanging in there. Uh, yes. You know. Yes. I think she's also one of the people that is going to retweet. Uh, it, like, uh, you want to do an experiment right now on the podcast? Yes, please. Uh, I want you to tweet to Tawny Katane, like, uh, like, like, hey, Tawny, you're the best. Uh, and I bet she will retweet it. I don't know. That's pretty. I, that's pretty like generic. Can we get something? Okay. Like, uh, do you want to say that? Uh, like uh, you were so hilarious in the Seinfeld episode, the nose job. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> like they should have had you, the, or say like they should have had you in more episodes. You were so hilarious. This is so embarrassing. If this gets, <laughs> Rob, can you retweet this? <laughs> 
Someone's going to be like out there. This is the equivalent of like, I'm going to be applying for a job and someone's going to see this tweet and like, what? You no, and then you can play random... it in the clip. You play it in the clip. Yeah, but not everyone listens to the, I mean, everyone should, but not everyone listens to this podcast. Well, if somebody throws it in your face, then you could play them the clip. What, but what about if they just know forever and don't mention it? <laughs> well, then that's, I mean, then they're following Tawny Katane. No, they could just look on my Twitter. Like, let's say, you know, my sister, like, randomly <laughs> oh, <there's> talks. <laughs> and then she's like, Mom, we got to talk. Uh, Akiva, I think you got to live a little here. <laughs> I know. I, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm just I think you got to roll the dice for the sake <laughs> right, of the podcast. You were podcast. so hilarious in, in the Seinfeld episode, The Nose Job. The, you should have been in more episodes. You should have been in more episodes. Perfect. Yes, because she should have been part of the cast. You should. All right. No, you don't need to put that last part. I'm just saying that that's why she should have been right up there with everybody else in the cast. All right. And and what's the experiment? Is she going to retweet this? Yeah. All right. I suspect she probably. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's that's the oh, thing. Where do we about, go from here? That's the thing about the retweeter. The retweeter uh, doesn't know sarcasm. Yeah, I feel like this is going to be on. This is going to be like the first thing that comes up now when you Google me. <laughs> now this podcast will be. The I people hope. will find the podcast first, and then go look at Tawny Katane's Twitter feed, uh, which of course is at Tawny underscore Katane, K I T A E N, and then uh, we'll go from there. And next week, we'll have Tawny Katane on the podcast because you're a super fan. I'd rather have Chuck Finley. <laughs> I saw him strike out four batters in one inning, Rob, at a game. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. Good job. All right. So anyway, um, that Jerry's reading the lines from the play. And then uh, is it uh, this is in this scene. This is when we start to see the penis versus the brain chess match. Uh, yeah. Okay. And so... <laughs> anyway so the the penis is like taunting the brain like oh so you have to read a play don't worry in an hour i'll take over and you don't have to think about anything yeah i mean they're really going back and forth here yeah it's a real it's a real back and forth battle between uh the the penis and uh the brain but why chess i feel like the brain is always going to win at chess well what do you want to play like uh tennis or ping pong no something random like monopoly or like no like sorry Um, yeah, I think that that's confusing the metaphor to say, like, I feel like my penis and my brain are playing sorry. Maybe if you wanted to have them like, maybe they should be like playing like poker or some sort of like gin rummy or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I, I think poker is a good idea, although it wasn't nearly as popular in 1991. Because you need to have the two of them like sitting at the table. Yeah, so maybe poker, but I guess chess is a better visual. But listen, I'm not writing the episode here. I'm just, we're just being technical. Yeah. So, uh, but I get what you're saying that obviously that the brain would have the advantage over the penis in the chess game, you would think. Uh, no question. You would think so. All right. So we go to Elaine and Kramer, and uh, this is a real caper because uh, they're going to go and try to get that jacket. And uh, Elaine is taking on the persona of Wanda Pepper. And uh, we see the guy. And this guy is a character actor that's been in a million things. Um, I've, I've got some facts for you, Rob. Tell us about. Oh, no. Oh, no. He was a character actor. Oh, not fun fact. No. Yeah. Yeah, but I I can tell you that this guy was on uh, an episode of Star Trek Next Generation. I remember him. He's got a very uh, distinct look, this guy. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, I've I've never seen that. I, I will never see. I did. 
I did promise last week, if you remember, that I would watch an episode of Big uh, Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory, but you know, it's such a packed episode. I'm going to save it for next. Okay, week. save it for next week. Check out uh, the Big Bang Theory. Okay, all right. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, talk about you know after the landlord uh, gets in, he's like showing them through, and uh, Elaine's gone through the closet because the, the what is the, do we know the name of the guy that that lost the jacket or has the jacket? I don't think so. No. Okay, so we're going. I think it's just the guy who used to what? Yeah, his last name is Pepper. Oh yeah, no, we know it here. You're right. We didn't know before. Uh, yeah. So we're uh, Mr. Pepper. Mr. Pepper. Doctor Pepper, probably. Doctor Pepper. Uh, so we're going through his wardrobe, and uh, we're seeing. <laughs> uh, Al- we're- Albert Pepper. Sorry, Albert, Albert Pepper. Um, you know, and also it's funny because the landlord has like knows a lot about uh, Dr. Von Nostrum uh, about how he read his book uh, that and it's this contention that Shakespeare was an imposter. Yeah. So my landlord literally didn't speak English uh, in New York City, but he is is like a Shakespeare expert. OK. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there are some landlords that are well read. No, I'm not saying there aren't. It's just, you know, he you know, he's got a good landlord here. He's got a good landlord. And so um, he's talking about how there was one woman that used to come and visit Mr. Pepper. He was quite a ladies man, a woman named Babs. And uh, that she would, you know, walk around drinking Colt 45 from the can, half naked, uh, screaming about uh, getting him to come back to bed. And she wailed like a banshee and uh, Kramer loses it. Yeah, I thought actually this was written really well, like. He does, you know, they did such a good job of like Kramer's like normally, you know, like a relatively calm guy, like in a scenario like this. But he really gets him. Yeah, he really gets him worked up. And so Kramer starts uh, choking him. And then Elaine starts yelling, Kramer, you're killing him. And that's when the jig was up. <laughs> Called her a drunken stumble bum. Yes, yes. Uh, anyway, so uh, the next scene uh, we see is Jerry. We got Checkmate. And it's ultimately the brain which is going to beat out the penis. Listen, the penis uh, we has had, been you know, beaten, Akiva. Yeah, the brain was like a one to ten favorite. Yes, the penis has been beaten, and then uh, it uh, basically shrinks up and disappears uh, once it's been beaten. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And so uh, we end up with uh, Jerry saying, uh, "This isn't working." And that's the last we see of Tony Katane. Yeah, not 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 so much from Tony Katane, but we want to see more. Yes, well, we we'll see on her, on her Twitter. Uh, or I don't. I'm I'm actually going to bet that she doesn't retweet it. Okay, probably, you know she has a lot of followers. I bet you know. Do you you have like slightly more followers than her? Do you see every tweet that you get? Yeah, I don't think that 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 many people are tweeting to Tony Katane. Yeah, you're probably right because even though she has like eighty percent of the followers, you do she. You know, isn't doing anything yeah <laughs> i mean she maybe she started, she started working again She's oh what at, is you she know, doing Dr. drew got her back in the shape it looks like okay is, is she is she actively like on a project right now she did a few guest spots i think she might actively be on other things but i don't know if it's like a project i'm not sure I mean, I guess it depends how much she's working. If people are seeing her on things, then she's probably getting a lot of tweets if she's not working right now. You know, unless people are watching Seinfeld reruns, I'm sure, um, or watching other things that she's done. I don't know how much, you know, she's actively getting, um, you know, messages from people. I, I guess uh, we will uh, to we'll be see. determined. It's a fascinating yeah. experiment. 
Um, I can't, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. All right. So let's go back to the coffee shop. We find out that the jig was up. Kramer did get the jacket back. Uh, and then in the coffee shop, we see finally Audrey comes back in. And she's looking good. Very good. Yeah. And how much of a violation of the bro code is this? Kramer is dating Audrey. And we've already had multiple bro code violations in just 25 episodes. <laughs> yeah, this might be one of the worst. This is pretty bad, but 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 George broke up with her. I mean, she broke up with him, but they, you know, broke up. Yeah, he wanted uh, you know, out. Jerry taking George's, you know, old girlfriend is also pretty bad. Yeah, he wanted out. So I guess it's uh, it's still not cool. Not cool, Kramer. Uh, he should just, he, you know what he should do? He should go to like the nose, you know, the place where you get nose jobs and you know, pretend to be interested and kind of just hit on the women there, you know, while they're waiting. Yeah. Well, they probably all have boyfriends who are like George that push them to get the nose job. They, they have that what it is. It's mostly boyfriends. Put, I, I, what would happen if you, you know, I don't, I don't think in real life, uh, I think you're an ex-boyfriend if you push someone to get a nose job. Uh, not all the time. All right. I, I haven't tried it. I'm not going to start. Yeah. Anyway. So, uh, Kramer and Audrey are off to the reggae lounge. Kramer doesn't really strike me as a reggae guy, but uh, I could see he it. does like freebies. We know that he does. Okay, so they're off to the reggae lounge, and then that's it. And then Elaine uh, is like talking about how she's so beautiful, and then uh, George ends it with like Lane, shut up. Yeah, which is what good, good symmetry. Yeah, which this is really like a mid-season, you know, episode. It really uh, doesn't feel like the early ones. It's a fantastic episode. All right, in 2014, Akiva, what would be different? Well, the big thing uh, that couldn't happen now is the phone number. The phone number would be different. Um, I think you would still date an attractive woman and have to, you know, uh, you know, if she's a vapid, you know, not smart person, uh, that would still be annoying to deal with. I think you'd still uh, date a woman that has a big nose and maybe want her to get a uh, a nose job. I don't think there'd be um, the the. I don't think she would get butchered as likely in 2014 as in 1991. Yeah. Would your uncle still need to send you the FAA reports? I think you can get those online. Probably. And so I think overall, I think this episode holds up very well. Yeah, agreed. Okay. So Akiva, we're going to do something uh, a little bit different now. We're going to, let's go ahead and patch in Peter, who was the writer of this episode. In addition to being a writer on Seinfeld for over six years, he's also the author of the books, uh, Mandela Was Late, Odd Things and Essays from the Seinfeld Writer Who Coined Yada 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 and Made Spongeworthy a Compliment, and his newest book, It Won't Always Be This Great. Uh, let's welcome in Peter Melman. Peter, are you there? I'm great. How are you? Uh, we're doing fantastic. Very excited to uh, to talk to you. And uh, yeah, kudos to Akiva for uh, for reaching out and uh, and uh, getting you to uh, come on the show with us. How can you turn down Akiva? <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I I tried many times. It's impossible. <laughs> I just uh, whatever Akiva wants. I'm there. Wow. How about that? Um, yeah. So uh, Peter, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved on the show? Um, kind of, you know, by accident, um, I had met, I lived in New York during the eighties and I had met Larry David like twice and, um, you know, we got along, we didn't spend much time together or anything like that. And then I bumped into him in LA and, um, you know, in 1990 in the fall and he 
said that, you know, I'm doing this little TV show with Jerry Seinfeld. Maybe you could write a script. You know, I mean, he knew I was a writer, but I don't think he knew that I was pretty much exclusively a journalist and had never written dialogue before. But but he asked for a writing sample, which he um, which was an article I wrote in the New York Times, kind of a humor piece. And um, he passed it on to Jerry, and somehow Jerry took a shine to it, and uh, I got to write a script. And next thing you know, I was like unbelievably loaded. I wanted to know how it worked. Um, I've seen you mention uh, that there was no writer's room on the show. Right. So how did it work in terms of like, so you write an episode, so let's say, for, you know, in particular, the nose job. You know, how does it work where... Um, you know, are you, did they give you any outline for the episode? Is it all, you know, does it have to be approved? I know the, the idea I saw in the, um, in one of those inside looks on the DVD, you know, came from your friend's father, the idea of somebody yeah. who can't, uh, you know, can't shut his mouth and, you know, says whatever he thinks, but how, you know, how did it work in terms, like how much authority over the script did you have versus Jerry and Larry? Well, I mean, Jerry and Larry ultimately had all the authority over the script. Um, but, you know, I did get to write it, you know, completely on my own. And then, you know, you turn it into that, them and um, and they, you know, either give you notes and have you rewrite it or depending on, you know, how tight the time frame is. They just kind of take it over. Um, the nose job, I mean, you know, basically I said, so I gave Larry the situation that Jerry is dating this girl who's, you know, very beautiful, except he's, she's got like this huge nose and, and, you know, he thinks about the nose and he doesn't want to and everything. And then, you know, Kramer says that line um, about, you know, she says at one point, you know, God, the women in New York are so beautiful. Yeah. And Kramer just says, hey, you're as pretty as any of them. You just need a nose job. <laughs> and, you know, that line sold the entire script to Larry. Once, you know, that line was all, you know, sometimes, you know, one moment would be enough for Larry to go, done. Yeah. And then, you know, then, you know, it was kind of up to me to come up with other stories and things like that. So there was like no outline at all, really. You know, one of the things that we noticed in going back and watching this episode this week is that stylistically, it's a lot different than a lot of the other episodes from this point in the show's history. And Akiva and I have been saying that it feels like a more modern show than, uh, you know, an episode of TV from 1991 in that it has all of these cutaways and things that you'd see like on Family Guy and 30 Rock uh, and stuff like that. How much of that was in the writing and how much of that was sort of just some experimenting that they were doing on the show at that point? You know, it was, um, it was pretty much split. Um, but it was, it was pretty much like, a little, there was a lot of experimenting on the set, you know, and also a lot of experimenting in the writing. And, you know, Larry was, um, kind of constantly evolving in his, creativity so it was um you know it, it was very disorganized in that way you know anything was kind of fair game and um you know back then what the show was you know not highly rated and you know we did have a budget to stick to which like no shows have a budget anymore you know i mean they you know a show like Modern Family probably costs, you know, $5 million an episode or something like that. You know, we 
So just to, you know, have these kind of offbeat scenes with like an, an, a scene in an elevator or a scene on the street, which, you know, those were just built on the set. You know, those were, there were a lot of extra scenes in that that were kind of a forerunner to what was going to happen in the next year or so. Uh, yeah, it does seem like they experiment a lot. You know, we go over some things now and we joke like, oh, that's non-canonical because, you know, like Jerry has a brother, you know, one minute and then he doesn't have uh, the next minute. And, you know, at a certain point, you know, obviously the show finds its stride and, you know, um, uh, I w- we wanted to know also in just, in, you know, very technically in terms of the in terms of uh, Audrey's nose. Do you remember how that worked? Like, was there a props thing? Did they just like uh, film it a, in different directions? It was a prosthesis yeah. put on her. And um, as you noticed, there was also like a little bit of, you know, almost fisheye lens yeah. things in there. So, um, you know, it was played up very much. It, it wasn't leaving much to doubt. <laughs> yeah, we were wondering if they uh, put out a casting call for like an actress with an enormous nose. No, no. <laughs> it was um, always planned that, um, you know, we find the best actress for the part and then, you know, do a little prosthetic. Was there ever any talk of showing the nose once it's in the deformed, dented state, or was it in the script that we never get to see the nose uh, when it's like really messed up from the surgery after she got butchered? No, we felt that was best left to the imagination. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it was uh, that was really kind of. You don't want to see that. Right, right. Uh, can I also ask about something that came up in our conversation at the episode of the uh, brain versus penis uh, chess match, which I feel like was, pre- was pretty racy for 1991 uh, TV. Did you guys have a problem getting that on the air at all? Shockingly, no. Um, I always wondered about that. You know, I didn't know if that point it was like, hey, these guys are just nuts anyway, just let them go. (laughs) Or if it was just kind of like benign neglect. But they really (laughs) let that one go, which was, you know, every successive thing that, you know, you could get away with, you know, built up the show. You know, I mean, up up to the point of the contest where you could get away with an entire episode about masturbation. And at that point, you could get away with anything. Of course, the show was hugely popular by then. Yeah. But, no, they, you know, if they're going to let you get away with something racy at a certain point, it's going to be something sexual because, you know, they're always, as long as it doesn't go too crazy, you know, then they're going to let you get away with that because, you know, they think that the, the sex part always sells. And I think the show was on at you know, 9.30 on Wednesday nights and, yeah, because the penis costume is hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Did a good job. I think that was, um, I'm pretty sure that was Jerry's idea based on somebody he had dated at that point. You know, and, and Jerry really didn't have very, you know, Jer- Jerry was not like a big idea guy. You know, he didn't really contribute that many ideas over the course of the show. So that was kind of a big deal. So, Peter, if there was no writer's room, what were you, what, you know, what would, what would you guys be doing in an episode that, you know, was written by, say, Larry Charles? Well, you'd be working on your own episode, you know, for a future week. And, 
And also, you know, like I always like to go down to the set, especially on the days when they were blocking all the scenes, you know, when the camp, you know, when they were, were rehearsing and the cameras were on the set and everything like that. I would, I would spend a lot of time on the set just to, um, you know, sidle up to Larry and say, uh, you know, it might be funny if George said this, you know. So, um, but, you know, it was very loose, you know, you weren't, You know, one of the stories that we've been tracking all through season three has been the storyline about Kramer and the jacket and which is also something that's kind of a a new thing that you guys are trying here in the third season of Seinfeld, where we have a a sitcom with a storyline that's kind of serialized. Are those beats sort of scripted out, you know, before the season starts or are, do they just tell you, okay, make sure you include a beat about the jacket in this storyline because it, how did they, with all these different people writing their own episodes, how did they keep that through line going? No, it was never planned out in advance. You know, just, Somehow, you you know, the jacket story took place and the opportunities where you could keep it going, which was, you know, really surprising. And, you know, it would, that would often end up in, in yours because, you know, when Larry and Jerry did their rewrite, they would go, you know, I really want to keep that jacket story going. And so that would, um, <laughs> you know, it was, that was very disorganized in that way. You know, there was, um, I wrote a whole episode where it was pre-planned that, you know, something dealing with the cigars and somehow the story kind of like lost its wind in an episode before that and it wasn't used. So, you know, sometimes it could work out great for you and sometimes it could really burn you. You know, the next, that was the next season, you know, and after, you know, I, I had written an ep- a whole episode about a humidor with the cigars. Yeah, that was one of the main stories, and you know it was a really good episode, and Jerry and Larry really liked it. And yeah, you know, we used some of the stories later, but since the cigar story was so prominent in it, it wasn't used. Peter, I wanted to ask you one uh, other funny thing about the episode. George has this throwaway comment to Jerry, which I thought was great. Which uh, when they're talking about, uh, you know, George says George says to Jerry uh, that uh, you know it's like going to the bathroom in front of a lot of people and not caring. You, I assume you wrote that. Like, where does that come from? Actually, the funny thing is, I, you know, Larry had been in the army. He went to boot camp. And he was talking about how you had to get used to going to the bathroom in front of a whole bunch of people. So at that point, I was thinking, God, that's so funny. And it was just in my mind. So I just threw it in there. And of course, Larry loved it because it was like, you know, something out of, thing he just happened to be discussing at lunch one day and um yeah, it was just that was the early part of like realizing that i had to keep my eyes and ears open constantly for just you know thoughts and storylines and things like that so um you know that was one of the you know it was a constant struggle to kind of learn how to be creative for me and um you know, just being aware of everything that everyone's saying, you know, that was like the one moment in the history of the world where, you know, Larry said something and didn't, didn't, you know, like really see it as a moment for the show and someone else did, you know, because Larry had an 
innermost thoughts at the top of his head so he could uh, use them at any given moment. Peter, you know, uh, we're talking so much about the nose job, but there was uh, a number of classic Seinfeld episodes that you're the uh, writer on between uh, the implant and uh, the the smelly car, uh, the Hamptons, the uh, yada yada. Do you have one that is in particular your favorite out of all of these episodes that you wrote for the show? You know, as someone who's on the show for so long, I kind of like look at my favorites differently than just the viewer would. You know, my favorite is the implant because I felt like I did the absolute best job on that episode. That I, you know, like that was one episode where it all came together and, you know, it was not rewritten very much at all. And, you know, I just thought I did the best job on that episode. So, um, you know, I, I'm really feel best about that one. You know, there is, you know, Yada Yada's way up there, too, because it was the last episode I wrote while I was still on staff. And, you know, the episodes at that point, in that, you know, season eight, had gotten kind of big and unwieldy, you know, things like the Puerto Rican Day Parade and, you know, Kenny Rogers Roaster thing, you know, which, I, you know, I didn't really like episodes like that. So the Yada Yada, in a way, to me, felt like a throwback where the stories were really small and little tiny slices of life and social manners and things like that, which is, you know, where the show was, you know, five seasons before that. So I felt really good about that one, too. And um, I also love the sponge a lot. Yeah, of course, Spongeworthy is became such a big part, uh, and still is. People still are saying Spongeworthy. Yeah, I, I guess. Um, but you know, I just love that one because you know it's 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 really thrilling when you you know to just be in your car and hear a story that the Today Sponge is going out of business and just think to yourself. Oh my God! What if Elaine is a sponge user? She would have to like stock up on them before they go off the shelf. <laughs> she bought up the entire West Side. But she got a limited number, so she would have to change her entire screening process. <laughs> you know, so like you know, to have an idea pop into your head almost fully formed, as far as you know, the basic idea and three beats of the story. That you know, you—that's what you live for. If you're if you're a writer on the show. It's kind of, it's kind of crazy, Peter, if you think about, I mean, you have such a, you know, uh, first of all, your, your, you know, the list of episodes you wrote is pretty unbelievable, but just the idea that you're like pitching to Larry and Jerry, who a lot of people would, you know, would say probably wrote the two funniest shows basically in history. Like in hindsight, is that kind of like, Oh my God, like, uh, you know, when you first started and you were just a journalist, like the fact that you're just coming in, you know, you're not just in the majors, you're, you know, playing with, like, these Hall of Famers. It's kind of unbelievable, no? Yeah, I mean, I guess. You know, the funny thing is, pitching stories, you know, that kind of came fairly easy to me. I mean, you know, while I was learning how to, you know, write a whole script, which was an ongoing process throughout the entire thing, as far as, you know, especially, like, trying to figure out what happens in a second act and things like that. Um, you know, that was, all that was, you know, just the continuing struggle and process throughout, but two things that never really intimidated me very much were pitching ideas to Larry and Jerry. I, I mean, you know, I think 
you know, in the first few years when like the entire writing staff, except for Larry Charles and I was constantly being fired after every season, you know, I mean, I think, you know, the thing that, that allowed me to stay and allowed me to kind of like learn on the job is that I always had a lot of really good ideas, you know, that's, and, um, and also writing dialogue for the characters, I thought was pretty easy too. you know, just, so, I mean, you know, I never really saw it that way as, as being that intimidating, you know, I mean, I had, I had pitched ideas. I, I'd worked for Howard Cosell in the early 80s, you know, so, you know, and I worked at the Washington Post also. So, you know, I wasn't that proud about pitching ideas for Larry, for Larry and Jerry. I've been around some pretty big people. Peter, it seems like uh, your career began, you know, uh, starting working in sports. And it seems like uh, more recently you've been uh, focused on sports. Uh, how big of a sports fan are you? You know, I hesitate to say that I'm a sports fan. I, I kind of like, you know, when I worked for Howard Cosell, you, you know, you just end up seeing all the hypocrisy of sports. I'm, I'm more like a sports observer. And, you know, I don't really root for any teams that much. Um, I kind of root for players, you know, and I, um, you know, and, and, you know, like the sports stuff I did on, on, um, the YouTube show, Narrow World of Sports, that was basically a reaction to how much I can't stand ESPN and how stupid the questions are that they ask. I just wanted to ask the kind of questions I would like to ask, and that's why I did the show. So, you know, I, I mean, and, and I bounce back and forth, you know, with different things I, I'm doing. You know, I mean, I just, you know, published a novel, so that's kind of like another strange turn. But, um, you know, as far as sports is concerned, I could watch, you know, Kobe Bryant all day and I can't, and all these people who are telling and saying, oh God, he never passes and everything like that. I'm like one of the few people who thinks he doesn't, he doesn't shoot enough. <laughs> yeah, Peter, I, um, I actually, after you agreed to come on, um, you know, I was looking at your uh, Wikipedia or whatever, and I saw you wrote a book and I, you know, went to Amazon and the reviews were great. And uh, the topic interests me. So I got the book and I just started it. I'm only a few pages in, but it's uh, it's really interesting. Um, I, yeah, I actually have two books. Which ones did you get? The the, uh, the new one, the new one. It won't always be this great. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. Thanks. I'm so excited. I am, uh, you know, it's I, I, what I basically been doing the last two months, you know, kind of on a book tour, which I, I think the book tour is basically designed to dissuade you from ever writing another book. <laughs> I'm like amazed that people actually like doing it. But, you know, the but, prote- you know, it's had its fun moments, but you know, writing the book was great. The the protagonist of your book is uh is a podiatrist, like a Jewish podiatrist who like isn't orthodox, um, but like kind of pretends to be. Again, I'm only a few pages in, but that's what it seems like, right? Well his friend pretends to be his he shares an office with a um, with a chiropractor who is pretending to be orthodox because the neighborhood where their office is has become so kind of overrun with orthodox Jews that like you know it's the best way it, it's the best way for him to get business. But um, the main character, the narrator, is uh, actually um, 
a very, very, very reformed Jew. I'd say he's almost an atheistic Jew. And, um, you know, the, the, the fact that the, um, the Orthodox in the community throw their economic weight around, like, you know, if, if you're open on a Saturday, you know, they, they basically don't, they basically boycott your business. And, you know, that's what kind of drives him crazy and leads him into, um, an uncharacteristic moment of vandalism. <laughs> is, is this based on a particular community, Peter? You know, I'm not exactly sure what the community is. A friend's mother was telling me about, you know, a certain area of um, Long Island where this is true. And I, I may or may not have grown up in that area. I think it might be like Cedarhurst. Yeah, that's, that's but, where I'm from. Um, but I didn't want to make, you know, I didn't name the town really. And, uh, you know, I, I just find that outrageous that people like, you know, want to foist their religious beliefs on you to the point where like, you know, they're economically freezing you out. I mean, because, because you don't believe in the same superstitions that they do. I mean, so, Peter, did you, did you work on Joe Buck live also? I see that here. Uh, <laughs> um, I were I was asked, you know, by the producer of HBO Sports to help out with that show, and um, I was on a series of conference calls, and um, you know, I kept on pitching these ideas to Joe Buck, and he would laugh his head off, and then the next day he'd go, I don't know, I, that seems like a little bit dangerous, and it kept on happening and happening, and then, you know, then they then they wanted me to help out. They had they wanted me to at least observe that they uh, they had done this segment with um, one of the big guys from Funny or Die, and you know I report they called me and said how did it go? I said, I, you know, and I was kind of like way too honest saying, I'm sorry, I just didn't find any of it funny or smart or anything, and everybody else was like loving it. And then you know then they had. Um, then they told me that they booked the guy from Howard Stern's show. Artie Lang. The Artie Lang to be a guest on it. And I said, are you kidding me? Artie Lang with Joe Buck? I mean, this guy's you know, going to try to take over the show and just be as obnoxious as possible. <laughs> no, no, no. He's going to be really funny. So everything I said like, kind of got shot down. So I just said, you know, I'm, I'm going to back out of this. Yeah. And, um, you know. Were you so you were not there for the Artie thing? No, uh, I, Peter, that was probably the best decision you made in your whole life. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to fly me to New York for the weekend when they were shot shooting the show, and that's when I just said, you know, I'm not coming in. You know, I, I said to the executive producer of HBO Sports, Ross Greenberg, I said, look, you know, I don't know if it's a sensibility thing or something like that, but every idea I have, they they laugh hysterically on these conference calls, and then they decide that they're you know too scared or what they don't want to do it, and then you know and then you know I didn't like the video, and they're like getting on me, and then I'm you know already lying. It just sounds like a terrible idea to me, and they think it's so great. So like you know what am I going to fly to New York and you know just be this outcast? So I pretty much quit there. And, um, you know, not that I need justification, but I think I ended up being pretty justified. Yeah, I, I think you were on the right side of history with that one. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, you know, it's, it's almost kind of insulting that, you know, I mean, Joe Buck is a great sportscaster and, you know, he makes an occasional joke or, you know, says something pithy during a telecast. And next thing you know, it's like, hey, I could be doing comedy. <laughs> you know, the arrogance level of that is like beyond belief. Yeah. Peter, in your day to day life, do you ever want to yell at somebody like, if, you know, if they think that they're saying something funny and, or they don't, they think you're something you're saying is not funny. Like, I, you know, I wrote like four of the 10 best Seinfeld episodes ever, buddy. Just listen to me. Well, no, I, I never want to say that, but I do want to say, oh my God, you can't possibly think you're funny. I mean, this happens weekly as far as every promotion on, on NPR for the show, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they make some kind of like, promo that's that's supposed to be a joke with like references that are about a thousand years old you know i i don't know i'm like a constant war on cliche which i think is what you should be if you're in the comedy business at all so um you know i i just uh you know everybody thinks they have a great sense of humor there are very few people who don't think they're funny you know which is you know and 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 it's true because you know like i was in the comedy center of the universe for a while and you know sitting in that in that lunchroom or in like larry and jerry's office and just hanging out every day you know it really sets your uh, comedy bar pretty high all right well peter thank you so much for coming on with us and being so generous uh with your time uh we re- we really really do appreciate it we hope that uh you know as we come up on some of these other shows that you've done uh maybe you'll consider coming back with us uh Check out Peter's novel, uh, which is on Amazon in hardcover and Kindle. I'll put the link uh, to this in the show page on postshowrecaps.com. Anything else, Peter, that you want to uh, tell people about? Um, no, no. I'm, uh, I'm going to Starbucks now. Anybody need anything? Oh, no, no. Uh, we're, we're, we're good. Uh, and then also, uh, on, uh, you're on Twitter as well, right? Peter Melman? Yeah. Okay. Are, are you an active tweeter? Um, I'm like a twice a week tweeter. <laughs> All know, right. I mean, I, I won't, I'm not going to tweet anything unless I come up with something I like. You know, like yesterday I was like really happy because I woke up and had this thought about, you know, how funny it would be to, you know, start binge watching 60 Minutes. <laughs> That's great. I, I wrote binge watching 60 Minutes up to 1971. Yeah. <laughs> I just love, you know, that. You know, that's worth a, that's worth a tweet for me. That, yeah, you know, like, great. I'm pretty picky about my tweets. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's the way to do it, I think. Uh, pick your spots. All right, Peter, thank you so much and uh, all the best. My pleasure, guys. Thanks right. a million. Take care. Bye. All right, Akiva, there you have it. That's Peter Melman. Yeah, that was great. That was uh, that was a real treat. He's Peter Melman's really he's a legend. Yeah, very informative and uh, really fun. And again, Akiva, kudos to you for tracking Peter down. Yeah, I wish, uh, you know, some of these episode writers didn't have such generic names. They'd be sure to find. <laughs> Very good. Bob Shaw, if you're out there, let us know. All right. Now, Akiva, now I hope that this isn't doesn't put you in a bad spot because now this is the time where we want to get your ranking of the episode. Okay, so now we just we just talked to Peter, so I hope this isn't putting any pressure on you to bump up the episode higher than you normally would. But you made this list before the the phone call, so I trust yeah. that you have kept stuck to your guns. Yeah, well, it would have been fun. I mean, you know, we didn't we didn't record the whole episode with Peter, but it would have been fun to uh, 
have him for the episode and at the end say uh, it was 165. Yes, <laughs> one of the worst episodes. But no, I don't think that's going to be the case. All right, so this is what we like to do. Akiva has ranked all 169 episodes of Seinfeld. That includes a lot of two-parters along the way. So, Akiva, let's uh, let's uh, see where we go. Uh, last week, we talked about the tape. You had it at number 149. Is the nose job better than the tape? Yes, definitely. Yes, definitely. All right, then let's um, let's move up a little bit. A couple of weeks back, uh, we talked about the phone message, which you had at number 119. Is the nose job better than the phone message number 119? Yeah, I have it as better. Better. Okay. Uh, going back to a while, we talked about the deal. Uh, episode number 101, is this better than the deal? No. No. No, deal's a classic. Okay. Classic at 101, though. Yeah, well, listen, there's a, apparently there's 101 classic episodes. 101 classic <laughs> episodes. Okay. So the nose job is in between the deal, number 101, and the phone message, number 119. Where does it fall in line? Uh, the nose job is 107. 107. That, does that seem fair to you? Where would you have it? I feel like it seems a little low, but again, I haven't made the list. Yeah. I mean, why? You think it's better than the deal? I think it's funnier than the deal. Yeah, but the deal is like a super important episode. I, Peter, um, I was, you know, doing a little research on Peter. I think he said that it's one of his favorite episodes, the deal. The deal? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think the, I probably would say it's funnier than uh, than the deal. I mean, I, I don't think I could really nitpick it. I think it's probably, you know, closer to uh, the pen uh, in that ballpark. I might even have it above the pen. Um, but you know, again, I'm just watching these again for, um, you know, I haven't been watched the whole catalog recently. So I might just have, you know, uh, oh, I, I'm like the guy that like, oh, I want that. I like that. I like that. I like everything. Hey, listen, there, there aren't too many clunkers. Yeah, I know. Although forget I said that next week. The bar is high. The bar is high. Um, of course, uh, what is coming up next week? Uh, the episode that was not good enough to be shown in season two, The Stranded. Okay, The Stranded. So we'll talk about that next week. And uh, I think you have a special place uh, for that. Okay, so we'll talk about The Stranded next time on the Seinfeld Podcast. All right, let's open up our Seinfeld mailbag. So we moved over to the servers uh, last week, and uh, we had a little bit of a problem with our mailbag, but Newman has it all straightened out. And so you could send us your emails once again, Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, jump into one of our messages about this episode. And uh, this is from uh, Matt, who wants to talk about last week's episode, The Tape, uh, who says, uh, Matt Washuck says, I meant to write this last week, but I forgot to. The Tape was an episode that was never supposed to happen. Originally, the episode slotted for this point in the season was the storyline where Elaine purchased the gun for self-defense. Akiva, is that factually correct? No, he's mixing up the tape with the phone message. Ah. Which is reasonable. Uh, You know, they're both about, you know, basically you know, somewhat similar things. So I could see where he'd mix them up. I was going to say, because I thought yeah, we, we did, already passed that point. Yeah, we did. We discussed this in early season two. The phone message uh, was the episode that replaced the lost episode of that. Okay. All right, let's check in with Johnny DeSilvera. Johnny wants to know, is this the longest storyline to this point, the story of the jacket that Kramer's obsessed with? Uh, yes. Yes, yes, that's absolutely true. Okay. Um... <laughs> Uh, also, uh, Johnny says it was nice to see Tawny Katane before she beat up Chuck Finley. Did she beat up Chuck Finley? You know, I didn't know that. I mean, now that changed everything. I'm going to delete that tweet to her. I'm a big <laughs> Chuck Finley guy. 
<laughs> yeah. So now listen, she Tony. Tony had some. Tony had some uh, issues, and it looks like she's worked them out. She she seems to be, uh, you know, you know, she's she's past the surreal life. Yes. Okay. And she did surreal life and celebrity rehab with Dr. Drew. That's really that's good. Pretty serious duo. That's good. Uh, and then lastly. Uh, Johnny wants to know, have either of you two had reconstructive surgery? Uh, hopefully it worked the first time. Have you, have you had any uh, reconstructive surgery, Akiva? No, but if I can go back to Tony for a second. Yes. She has two daughters. One's name is Winter, W-Y-N-T-E-R. By the way, she's never coming on the podcast now. And one's name is Rain, R-A-N-R-A-I-N-E. Okay. All right. Wanted to say that. That's a unique spellings. Uh, yeah, she's, uh, you know, she's got her own way. Well, her name is Tawny. Yeah, but she was uh, she was named at birth Julie. And she uh, nicknamed herself. Don't think I'm an expert. I'm on her. <laughs> All right, uh, let's check in with Chester to bring us home here today. Uh, also says um, so. Uh, he is concerned about the magazines pinned to the wall with safety pins. Yeah, what are you talking about, Chester? <laughs> he must have it on Blu-ray. Uh, he's really looking at it close. No, you can't put anything past him. <laughs> I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to face off against Chester in a courtroom. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> Chester was. A, did Audrey steal one of Elaine's dresses? I don't know. Did she? I don't know. Like, what's he looking at here? Hmm. Um. And finally, uh, Chester wants to know: Isn't the Isabel story nearly identical to the Marlene story from the season two premiere? Yeah, but yeah, that happened to-, to George. He asked me to ask Melman that, but I didn't think it was worth asking Melman. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's uh, it is pretty it is pretty similar. Yeah, it is similar, but I think they wanted to do the gag about the brain and the penis playing chess. Yeah, the, there sometimes is overlap. They didn't, you know, really fear to do overlap if they had like a funny spin on it the second time. Yeah. And does that episode end with Kramer dating her also? Um, No, that. Well, first of all, that's a Jerry George thing. Yeah, that's a Jerry. And I thought that in my mind, I think I thought that like anytime they anybody breaks up with a woman, then they ultimately end up with Kramer. That's just Uh, in my brain, you know. Yeah, you should really, you know, we should give Kramer more credit. He's not always, you know, just stealing people's. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, Fantastic. Well, this was. No, but in the end of the episode, uh, you know, she breaks up with Jerry anyway because she says he's not funny. Oh, it's not funny. That's how it ends. I forgot. Um, Anyway, so uh, fantastic. This was a a watershed moment for the post-show recaps Seinfeld podcast. Yeah, uh, next week's writers, Larry, David, and Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, wow. Which one should we have on? Okay. Uh, well, could we, I mean, could we do like 10 minutes with both? We could get Larry and Jerry at the same time. No, no problem. I'll put a, what, do we have an intern on it? Okay. Uh, let's, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. It would be funny if we got Larry and Jerry and just talked about The Stranded, like almost universally <laughs> considered the worst episode. Yes. Uh, so did the dingo eat your baby? How did that come up? Uh, anyway, so uh, very excited for next week's episode. Uh, should be a lot of fun uh, talking about everything again with you guys. Uh, we got our email working. Go to Seinfeld at postshowrecaps.com uh, to send us an email. Uh, you can't go there. I don't know why I said go there. Uh, just send us an email uh, about the episode. We'll read it on the show and also uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast at postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes. Akiva, you got a hashtag? Yeah, um, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I want to say, remember last week I said that any any hashtag we pick at the end of an episode 
someone has jokingly mentioned as in a hashtag of while they were watching Seinfeld. Yes. So the streak continues. The only person, what was last week's uh, hashtag? Uh, I don't remember. <laughs> it was, uh, I think Purple 23 was two yes. weeks ago. Last week's was um, Captain of the Toes. Yes. And the, the uh, only person ever on, on uh, Twitter to mention it, Andrew Weeding, U.S. Olympian, Andrew Weeding. Yes. Okay. Watching Seinfeld and, and wrote about Captain of the Toes. So let's keep it up this week. Okay. So we w- are, you want to keep people not using the hashtag? No, I don't. I, I mean, we should pick whatever we pick. It's just funny that someone has already done whatever we've done. So far. okay. Uh, here, let me give you some suggestions. Uh, we got uh, crop circles. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, we have. Uh, I, I probably don't want to go with penis versus brain. No, I don't think we need to. That may be different types of <laughs> FAA reports. No, that's probably they're probably people really tweeting about FAA reports. Probably we'll we'll mess everything up. <laughs> we'll mess mess everything up. We don't need to distract anybody that's in the FAA. Uh, let's see. What what do you got? Anything? Um. Yeah, I was also thinking. Um. The first one, uh, which now I forgot what you said. Oh, crop circles. Yeah, we could do crop circles. All right, let's go with crop circles. All right. Everybody, thank you so much for making it to the end of this podcast. Love to hear what you guys have to say in the comments. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. And special thanks again to Peter Melman for coming on with us. Greatly appreciated, Peter. All the best. Bye.